0: thus far we have learned that Jesus is God. The Bible clearly teaches that Jesus is God. But the Bible also teaches that he is, he is human, he is a man, he is the God-man. What we celebrate, this thing that we call Christmas, is theologically speaking, the incarnation. Everyone say, incarnation. The incarnation, that word uh, carne, you know, uh, in the Greek and in uh, Spanish, it just means flesh, chili con carne, you know, chili with flesh. We're talking about God who has added humanity to himself. So my thought about what Jesus might be like in the manger is, what is this? (laughs) Arms and fingers and such, you know, kind of like all babies are, (laughs) But today, we're going to continue that, and we're going to ask a very important question. The question, every sermon should be answering a question. You know, it should, be, it should be purposeful. You know, to explain something, to prove something, or to apply something. And today, we are discovering what Jesus' mission is. What was Jesus' mission? If you could put it in... Ten words or so. I know that ten words is a hot number in our church, but if you could just state it out, what would it be? What would it be? Well, we're going to discover here in just a few minutes, but before we do, before we dive in, I want to just read a few quotes and for you to consider here this morning. This one is by Henry David Thoreau. The mass of men lead lives of quiet." desperation. Most men, women, live their lives in quiet desperation. No purpose, just wonders and anxieties and fears and, and wondering which way to go, being tossed and blown one way to the other. Most people live their life that way. They have no plan for Monday. They fully anticipate that Monday will push them around wherever it is they need to be. And they follow the push, never pushing back, never climbing for something greater. Nietzsche said, he who has a why to live can bear almost any how. He who has a why to live, a reason to live, can endure almost anything. Just fire something up in your heart this morning. Do you have something that is, that is so important to you to live out a, a mission, as it were, in your own life that you can endure almost any difficulty? You believe in it with such great belief that you, that you would even die for it. I wonder. Or are you one of the massive men that leads a quiet life of desperation? I'll tell you this, my friends. That is not Jesus. Jesus came not to be pushed around and ultimately end up on a cross. He lived with purpose. With a mission. In the last 35 years of being prepared for ministry and leading churches in ministry, I have used these words. Words like like vision. You know, leaders use words like, well, what does vision mean beyond going to Sam's Club and seeing if you can read the stop sign ahead of you? Vision is a preferred future. When any great leader talks about vision, they have this, this I want to be here someday. I want to everyone to experience this. You know, there was a time... <laughs> When somebody said, one day there's going to be a computer in every household, and the response was, well, what will they do with it? Likely, you have a computer within a foot or so of you even here this morning. Imagine someone had a vision that this kind of a tool could be useful, perhaps universally, maybe not. There's a couple of young folks around here who had hey, perhaps you like I had a teacher. You're not going to have a calculator everywhere you go. No, I'm just going to have a computer in my pocket. Silly. Lack of vision. <laughs> so what is a vision for the church? What is a vision for your life? When we were a kid. We had dreams. I want to be a. I wanna play, I wanna do, I wanna go, you know? Those aren't visions, my friend. Vision is a preferred future. I want to live in such a way that. Vision. Vision. Do you have a vision for your life? Words like strategy. You know, strategy is only a, a, a method of how to get to where you want to be. A strategy is I can walk or I can ride a bicycle or I can get in a car or I can call a cab or I can get on a train. All of these are strategies to get to a destination. One of the strategies we're using for a dinner this week is we're having our pastor talk just a little bit about it on Sunday morning. (laughs) Strategy, okay? 5.30 on Wednesday, be here, be here. Yeah, we have a big sign out there, big big lit up sign out there telling our world about it. It's a strategy. Yeah, strategies. And then goals. What's a goal? A goal uh, is is often confused. You know, we think that's the vision, the end of it all. The goal... Is, is steps along the way. In order to reach this destination, I need to get to this point. And when I get to that point, perhaps restructuring, a new strategy needs to come into play to hit my next goal. All of these things were extraordinarily clear in the mind of Jesus. Very clear mission. And my friends, unless you want to continue on living a life of quiet desperation, You should take carefully thought, careful thought to these kinds of words. Jesus lived out a very clear purpose in the incarnation. And it was was this mission that determined every decision that he made, whether it be a yes or a no, every stop along the way, every conversation he had was leading him to his end. Every debate... That uh, the, the religious leaders came to ask him and to challenge him, and every response led him closer and closer to the cross. Very, very clear message. As a matter of fact, I'll give it to you right away, and then we'll prove it. The mission is laid out by Jesus in John chapter 10. In John chapter 10 and verse 10, Jesus said these words, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they might have life and life abundantly. Jesus' mission statement, I have come that sinners might have life and life abundantly. And I guarantee, my friends, you must understand the mission of Christ. You've got to, and you know why? Because if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, his mission is your mission. His mission is your mission. So I want you to take your copy of the scriptures and follow very carefully along here with me this morning. Let's start in Matthew chapter 1 in verse 18. For the discovery of Jesus' mission begins from his very birth, from his birth, from the very beginning. You know, I remember my parents seeing Emily for the first time as just a wee little baby. She was precious and adorable. And, and you know, my mom, the pianist, looked, look at those fingers, you know. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> we we notice different things, you know. Oh, he's going to be a football player. Oh, he's going to, she's going to be, a, oh, my goodness, look at that. But I want you to take careful note here. You have read this surely hundreds of times. In Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18, we read about Joseph's distress. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, now, this was uh, more than just an engagement. As far as public, they were considered married. Okay, I mean, there there was certainly a, a commitment higher than that, but this was not a small thing. So the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they had come together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now Joseph did not know the origin of this child. He only knew that she wasn't pregnant because of him. And so we see his distress. And her husband, verse 19, comes to a decision. Oh, how important our decisions in our life? Our life is made up of our decisions. You are who you are today because of the decisions of the past. And you will be who you will be a year from now because of the decisions you begin to make today. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame. And here we have this dilemma. Here is Joseph, who is a just man, a righteous man, a man who is trying to walk the line in obedience to God and honoring him. And yet loving this woman. What can one do? One can act in both ways. Notice. He resolved to divorce her quietly. Not to make a big deal of it. Not to call all of the elders of the church and all of the elders of the the, the, the city to come and spit upon her. He simply resolved to do it quietly. And then Joseph had a dream. It's astounding how our dreams impact us. This is not the, I went to sleep and I woke up and I was craving bananas. Or the one where I dreamt I ate this giant marshmallow and I woke up and my pillow was gone. I mean, it's not that kind of dream. What he's talking about is divine revelation. I appreciate that smile. Welcome home. (laughs) And here it is in verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold. Behold, that's what that word means. You're not going to believe this. (laughs) Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, very important here. that Jesus, whose father, (laughs) a descendant of David, has the right to sit on David's throne. And fulfill the prophecy that he would reign forever and ever. Hmm. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife. Why? For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. And there it is. But just in case David isn't thinking clearly on that, the angel clarifies, for he will save his people from their sins. The word Jesus, the Hebrew is Joshua, Yeshua is the Hebrew, and the name itself literally means Yahweh's salvation. His purpose is laid out right here. Why did he come? For he shall save his people from their sins. And there it is right there. And if in case it's not so much clear, we continue on and we look at his life and ministry. Hmm. We spoke about critics. these priests who would come and, and criticize him and question him and try to trap him. They didn't like the way he was living, but he was living according to his purpose, his mission. Now turn with me to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. We're looking at passages that make so clear what the mission of Jesus is. And what we will discover when we get to the end is it's your mission as well. And this mission, which is... Revealed in his birth is clarified for critics. In Luke chapter 15, we're going to look at three parables. They look like they're three parables, but my friends, this is all one story here. Take a look with me here at the context where we see uh, some confusion over Jesus' time spent with sinners. I mean, you and I both know. You know, you lay down with dogs, you wake up with fleas. Choose carefully your friends. This was Jesus' mission. Now, verse 1. The tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them, implying that he must be one of them. Sinners, evil man, what kind of man is this? The a man on a mission is what it is. Hmm. And what we see is an answer. One message, three stories here. Three parables. What manner of you, Jesus says in response, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in, in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, anyone have dogs here? Anyone have dogs that run away? (laughs) Dogs that you will scream like bloody murder, get over here, and they look at you and run the other way? (laughs) Much of my youth, one of my dogs, (laughs) thinks it's all a game. So here is this image, and friends, we're supposed to feel these stories not just hear them or see them. We're supposed to understand. I mean, the sheep has great value to this guy, enough that he would leave 99. Yeah, but what if, yes, but what about? You, you get the feel here? That this sheep has value. And this shepherd leaves them in the open country and runs and searches out this land until he finally finds it. And he puts it up on his shoulders and carries it home. Take a look. And when he is found it, verse 5, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls his, together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, this is Jesus now interrupting this story. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. What's the point of this story? It is the rejoicing when the lost are found. Now look at here in verse... Verse 8, or what woman having 10 silver coins, if she lost one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me for I have found the coin that I have lost. And just so, here is Jesus jumping in. I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Getting the theme here, my friends. The lost being sought and found in great joy that follows. But wait, there's more. <laughs> Continue on here at verse 11. And he said there was a man who had two sons. And we have seen the joy of finding a lost sheep. And the joy of finding a lost coin. But these are merely things, right? And Jesus steps it up in this last one. And talks about the joy of finding a lost son. And he starts by telling the story about the rebellion of one of his sons and his foolishness. And this son's foolishness of seeking his inheritance. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the uh, the share of property that is coming to me. He came to his father and said, I wish you were dead, because then I could have my stuff. Then I could have your stuff. Sad. Sad. That is a poor, poor view. (laughs) That is the perspective of someone who hasn't lost their parents. Because the moment you do, you would give it all back for one more lunch together, one more conversation. It is a foolish, foolish thing. And so here he is seeking his inheritance by the time we get to verse 13, we see he is squandering his inheritance. Not many days later, and, they, you know, and, and he divided his property between them. So the son got what he wants. You know, sometimes the best lesson is giving somebody exactly what they're asking for to find out that it isn't what they were looking for. Not many days later, the son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And so here's the picture of this boy's foolishness. <coughs> we kind of like the sheep, you know, the boy. And we like, remember the old McDonald had a farm. And, and the coin, oh, I hope she finds it. But this boy... We're starting to get the feeling that we don't like this guy that much, right? I mean, he's a bit of a scoundrel. Well, let him run off then. I mean, who wants somebody like that around? Well, my friends, he has lost his inheritance. Verse 14, and when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. What a great place for a young Jewish boy feeding the pigs. Hmm. Verse 16 tells us, And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. There was a boy that says, give me. And out it goes, in one hand, out the other. And here he is in a field trying to eat pig food. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pig ate. And no one gave him anything. And we say, great, that rotten no good boy. He got exactly what's coming to him. The boy in this story is you. Me too. And you. <laughs> well, my friends, you know how this story ends. Everyone does, it is a powerful parable. Because verse 17 tells us, when he came to himself, when he woke up and looked at his circumstances, looked what he had, looked what he could have had, he changed his mind. There it is, lay it out. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I I perish here with hunger? This is the return, my friend. His realization, verse 17, leads to his resolve. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. In verse 20, And he arose, And came to his father. And his father wagging his finger. Saying you should have listened to me. Is not how this story goes. As he came and drew near to the house. (laughs) Still a long way off. His father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him and the son said to him father i have sinned against heaven and before you i am no longer worthy to be called your son his realization that led to his resolve has now come to this reunion and how does the story end, friends? My friends, if, even if you've never heard this in light of what, the context, we know it ends with rejoicing. The lost son has been found. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it upon him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate for this my son was dead. It is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. The story doesn't end here. Because remember who Jesus is talking to? A bunch of grumblers. I mean, Literally, they were grumbling about him. And now Jesus turns his attention square to them and says this. Now his older son was in the field, and he came and drew near the house and heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come home and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. He was angry. He's the one wagging his finger now. And refused to go in. So his father went out to get that one too. That's what it says. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you. And I have never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But When his son of yours came, who was devoured, notice he didn't call him brother, this son of yours, yes, hmm, but when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, Nothing in the Bible says that, you know. There's nothing in the account that says this guy spent it. He's just uh, just name calling at this point. And you have killed the fatted calf for him. Do you know who the father is in this story? It's Jesus, who goes to seek and to save. But the father has a bit of a reminder for this boy. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that, I, all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and now is found. See the theme here, friends? Lost. Found, celebrate. Jesus defending his actions, seeking the lost, finding them, celebrating in heaven. Well, friends, if you haven't got it yet, turn with me to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. Because here Luke spells it out for us. If you didn't get a few chapters ago the point of Jesus' ministry, seeking out the lost, finding them, returning them, reconciling them, we're going to make it clear in this chapter. When we begin. To, Luke is recording the account of a guy named Zacchaeus. Now, Zacchaeus was a wee little lad. <laughs> Some of you who went to Sunday school as a child may remember that song. <laughs> we'll see a couple of heads nodding on that one. Look at here in verse 1 Jesus entered Jericho and passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. And he was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Now, the tax collectors were hated in the day. Not because people were just unwilling to let go of their funds. I mean, that's always the case, right? That's why we shop at Kohl's at 30% off, right? Or Harbor Freight only when there's a coupon, you know? (laughs) Yeah, the tax collector was a scoundrel. And let me tell you why. They were tasked with collecting a certain amount of taxes. They were assigned to bring in this much, But here's the kicker. Anything over that amount, they got to keep. So they went after it hard. Not just to do their task, but to become wealthy at the expense of others. And that is precisely what this guy was doing. And he was rich, which meant he was very good at it. And so we we discover Zacchaeus, the sinner, Zacchaeus the sinner becomes Zacchaeus the seeker in verses 3 and 4. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was a wee little man. <laughs> Small in stature is what the scripture says here. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was about to pass that way. And then the tables are turned. The tables are turned, my friends, because Zacchaeus the seeker becomes Zacchaeus the sought. Who is seeking him, you might ask? It's Jesus. (laughs) That's the point. Are you not paying attention here? (laughs) And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up to him And said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. Because this guy is a rotten, no good, low down, horrible, and a whole bunch of other words. This guy just takes our money over and over again. They grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner, implying that he must be a sinner as well. But you and I now know his mission, don't we? To seek out and to save. Well, verse 8, and Zacchaeus stood And said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have, if I have, (laughs) if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. You know what that is, my friends? That's a turn. A man who is living for money is now the man who is releasing that money back to whom it belongs and those who need it. So, we see a change here. Zacchaeus the saved. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham for the... Don't miss this part. Friends, if you've been snoozing through the whole sermon, this is the time to pay attention. So if people come to you and say, hey, how was the sermon today? And you go, oh, he was great. And they say, oh, but our guy was really great too. What was it about? And you're like, oh, you know, we died Jesus. <laughs> if you listen here, you can give him a little more. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That is the mission statement of Jesus, from Jesus, recorded and preserved for us to clearly understand. Now, my friends, turn with me quickly to Matthew chapter 28. Seek and to save the lost. And yeah, you know how it ends. Verses 9 to 10, just just like the uh, parables, right? Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. And the celebration proceeds. Yes. Matthew chapter 28 and verse 16. And we shall look at this quickly. It is familiar to you. And what we will discover, my friends, is his mission is your mission, it is my mission. We talk, oh, I see more lights on the tree. Well, that should indicate that you have shared the gospel with the lost. And my friends, that is the mission, to seek. You and I, we can't save, only Jesus can, but we can communicate the truth because the moment someone puts their faith in Jesus Christ, they're saved. So here we are in verse 16 now. Now, this is a uh, post-resurrection appearance of Jesus, Okay? Jesus has died. They put him in the uh, tomb. On the third day, he rose from the dead, and he appeared to many people. And this is one of those appearances. And it is a mountaintop reunion. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And what we see is a mixed reaction. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. There it is again you know the deity of Christ he is god they worshiped him and he received their worship but some doubted you remember that thomas fellow <laughs> doubting thomas as we call him some doubted and jesus came and said to them i mean you can you can almost feel this i mean here they are on the mountain together But Jesus, you get to feel that he came a little closer. He came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always. It is a partnership, my friends. Jesus did not meet them on the mountain and say, Go and do it, and we'll talk about it in a few thousand years. He said, Go and remember this I am with you always. His mission is our mission to go and seek the lost, that they might be found, to communicate the gospel. Friends, we know what the gospel is. It is astounding that in this world, even pastors I talk to do not know what the gospel is, so how can they preach it? People talk a good game, but you know it. Christ, say it with me. Christ died for our sin and rose from the dead. What are the four things that people must know? Number one, we're all sinners, every last one of us. Sin is rebellion against God. We're all sinners. What's the bad news? Wages of sin is death. Say it with me. The wages of sin is death. That's some bad news there, my friends. Death. Is separation from God from all, for all eternity, separate from His goodness, His kindness, His love, His compassion, His mercy, His joy. That, my friends, is hell. But there's good news. The good news is that Christ died for our sin, rose from the dead. Romans 5 8 says it this way God demonstrated His love for us in that. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. <clears throat> and the good news is this you don't have to join a church. Good idea. You know, it's, it's not about carrying around a Bible and reading it and talking the game, it's about faith in Jesus Christ. You can be saved by faith. In Jesus Christ. That is the number four, friends. That's where we got to land with people. And what is faith? Two concepts here. Reliance and relinquish. Reliance. We are depending on him to forgive us our sin. To keep his promises. That we will spend an eternity with him. It starts by accepting that is true. And then acting on it. The second aspect of relinquish makes complete sense. Do you trust me? Then come here. Uh, what does he mean by that? What's going to have? All kinds of questions. Can I trust him or can I not? Share Christ. Come next week. Well. Oh. We're running out of light bulbs here, friends. And just turn it, and it comes on. This is how we're lighting up this tree at Christmas time. You share Christ, you turn on the light bulb. Christ is the light of the world. He has called us to be the light of this world, to shine His light through us to this world. You just read the Great Commission there, my friends. A mixed reaction, but a mandate for us. Go make disciples. Where does it start? It starts with the gospel. Those who put their faith in Christ are to be baptized. And it is our responsibility to teach them all things that Christ has commanded. But don't forget this. You don't do it alone. Lo, I am with you to the end of the age. So let's wrap it up here, my friends. Bible to go, sermon in a sentence, the mission of Jesus was to seek out and save the lost. That is the celebration of Christmas, that the Son of God added humanity to himself, the incarnation, that he might live among us, reveal God to us, but ultimately to seek out and save the lost. And how did he do it? died on a cross on Mount Calvary. And know this is true, my friends. We partner with Jesus when we communicate the gospel, when we evangelize the the lost, when we become messengers. You can almost see the word angel in there. Well, you can actually if you look close. Because it's about communicating the gospel, the good message. If you look at that word "evangelize," it's it's a Greek word. Um, in the Greek, it would be an epsilon upsilon, EU. Think, and it means good, good message, good news. When we communicate the good news that Christ died for our sin and rose from the dead and people come to faith in Christ know this all of heaven rejoices if you are here this morning and it finally clicks on and you get it and in your heart of hearts you're trusting in Christ and you're asking him to forgive you of your sin and give you this new life all of heaven rejoices how do we know? Jesus said so Secondly, heaven rejoices when you share the gospel with the lost. They're getting it. I'll tell you this. That's exciting to me. That you are communicating the gospel to the lost is a great joy to your pastor. That you know it and that you believe it and that you are talking to people about Jesus. Yeah. That excites me. Do it, my friends. And finally, know this. The Great Commission, it was meant for you.